Underground Radio, bringing you all of the very best Pokemon news and views this side of Twist Mountain. I'm Nathiel. And I'm Sam. For today's broadcast, we'll be catching you up on all the recent Pokemon news, discussing a movie of legendary dragons, spotlighting a living fossil, and hitting you with another question of the week. So sit back, relax, and give your Radio Rotome what it wants. Alright, so... Probably the first part we have here is that there is a bit of a redaction. Is that the right word for it? Yes, it is. Yes. We have a bit of a redaction to make. Um, When I was talking in the earlier episode, I think it was just last week's here, uh, I didn't know the name of the tournament that was happening in Texas that our friend David had gone to. And uh, he sent me a text message here, which told me exactly what the name was. It was called the Texas Marathon, and it was held during the city's tournaments in Texas there. And I figured I would just kind of clear that up. So if there is anybody who is in Texas who are listening, I think there are a few Texas listeners. That's what the name was. And I'll be trying to keep my finger on the pulse of Pokemon Organized play a little better here, just so that I know what I'm talking about. And, I don't know, I guess we'll go from there. You were keeping up on, like, all the extra Pokemon Organized play stuff, even in uh, other states now. Yes. That's insane. So awesome, but insane. I don't know (laughs) if I could keep up with all of the stuff that goes on with Organized play. It's hard to keep up with it just from the perspective of everybody has their own website. You really have to look for their own websites. And some of it is, you know, you kind of have to be in the know in the region to really kind of keep up on what's going on. But I figure it's important to know for my own, like, I don't know, Pokemon organized play ambitions up here. True story. I really wish there was, like, some sort of central hub where it was like, this is all of the Pokemon stuff going on in the United States this weekend. Right. (laughs) That would would be sweet. That would be good to know from just the perspective of being able to go on Pokemon.com and look that up. Yeah. Because the event locator can only do so much for you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great tool, but it's not, like, the be-all, end-all pokemon locating tool (laughs) yeah it's good for finding things in your general area and maybe some things outside of it but unless you know what you're looking for it's a little difficult to use because you only have the option of going like 
X number of miles away from the zip code you give it. Well, you can also search for any, but then it'll start literally giving you any, and it'll start from where the closest location to you. And there are some events that have their own, like, code or whatever that you can enter in to look up. Like, you Mm -hmm. can specifically search for, example, the regional tournament at Madison. Yeah. But you kind of have to know that you're looking for it, too. Yeah. Pokegym is a whole lot better about it, but I don't usually go there. I probably should start (laughs) checking that out more. Uh, I finally got my shiny Dialgas this week. Well, that's good. I know. I was kind of dragging my feet about it, and I finally went in. Like, I had been avoiding it because I really didn't want to go anywhere near the GameStop. Okay. Because I, uh, my old manager and I do not get along. I don't work for GameStop anymore, and he makes my shopping experience extremely uncomfortable all the time now. So when I'm at the mall and I see that it's him working, I tend to just avoid it. I kind of like to wait for one of the not him employees to go in. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I was at the mall this weekend and I was like, nope, I'm fine. I'm just, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to go in there and get my Dialgas and leave. Um, so I went in and I got my Dialgas and then I went back out to sit down um, on those little, that little like tower bench kind of deal that's like right outside yep. the GameStop. And so I sat down and there was this little girl who came up and she was like, I love your DS. <laughs> Because I, oh. I had my Pikachu 3DS with me, and her mom was, you know, kind of, like, scolding her for interrupting me. And I was like, no, that's totally okay. Yeah. I thought it was cool. Um, so I talked to them about Pokemon League. She was, like, I don't know, maybe, like, five, so she's probably a little bit young to be coming to League. But it was it was really cute. I was kind of flattered. Mm-hmm. I guess in the same vein, too, there was someone at work who was, you know, probably, his kid was probably like five or so as well, but yeah, he was just talking, and Pokemon came up at one point, I was just like, yep, after this I'm going to Pokemon League, and he was just like, I didn't even realize there was something like that up here, and then I kind of told him about it, and I don't know, his kid's probably also too young to, uh, well, his dad probably is not going to take him with just because he is a bit young for it. But I don't know. It would be nice to see them come. Yeah. Oh, what else have you been up to this week? Well, I got a message from Josh saying that oh, yeah. he loved my suggested conkelder name, which was Bruce. Uh, though he thought it could use a few more U's. Oh, Lord. Are we looking at another Steve? Yep. This oh, no. time it might be Bruce. <laughs> Do not want. I think, I think I may have given him quite possibly the scariest nickname for a conkler that I could have ever thought of. Yup. Because I mean, just the idea of a, of someone shouting Bruce and a conkler coming out kind of instantly feel, fills me with a little bit of terror on the inside. Especially since we have such bad experiences with Steve. Yeah, except I did use a Steve, like a pseudo-Steve, against Josh one time, and he he didn't appreciate me using his own Pokemon against him. Well, good. He was yeah, just he like, no. how we feel. Oh, man. That's ridiculous. Yeah. 
men. I don't know. Otherwise, I have also been very busy with my Pokemon North Dakota branch, like, development going on up here. Um, you were, like, all about this, you know, making North Dakota Pokemon hub thing. Yes, and it's because I really want to do more stuff up here that's Pokemon-related, that's fun, like, on the level of stuff that's down in Texas, because that would be really, really amazing. Mm -hmm. And, I don't know, for the last couple of days, I guess, I've been kind of looking into some of the other cities in North Dakota that are, you know, within maybe three hours of us. I did talk to... Like, I, I think I said it last week, a couple people up in Grand Forks, and they're saying that they might not be able to get something started until winter, but they're very excited about being able to get something started. I also talked to some people in Bismarck, and, well, I've talked to their venue anyway, and I told them to kind of get me in touch with them to see if we can possibly start up a league out in Bismarck. Figure second most populous city in the state, that would be a good place to start. Yeah, they definitely need a league. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they meet up every two weeks, and they have Pokemon trading card game tournaments, but they don't run a league. So I figure that would be the next best thing to do. Yeah, that's the next logical step for them, for sure. Oh, yeah. And then I also looked into Valley City and Jamestown for possible league sites, you know, other than Wapaton. And I don't know much about Wapaton yet. I heard that one of the people up in Grand Forks used to live in Wapaton, and he might be able to get me in touch with some people there. Uh, Valley City, not entirely sure. They do have a college there, so maybe I might be able to get something set up there. Jamestown, they apparently have a, like, a cultural center or something in that area oh, cool. and they said I looked at their like schedule events schedule of events and they said that they have had people out there who have been doing things like showing people like manga style art and showing kids how to create their own uh, card games like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh and things of that nature so I figure if I send them an email and kind of talk to them for a while, they might be able to point me in the direction of possibly setting up another Pokemon uh, League out there as well, which would be really amazing because I, I don't know, I guess it would be a nice place to go for if we ever had a tournament where it involved people from the central part of the state and the eastern part of the state where we are. Yeah, it's definitely a nice sort of like midpoint in the state. Yep. It doesn't, you know, because, like, all those people out on the western area of the state probably aren't going to want to drive all the way out to Fargo for a no a tournament, so... And if we do get something set up in, like, Minot or Williston or something of that nature, I think we'd probably try and set up camp in Bismarck for that. But yeah. Or anything, like, Bismarck and Man <clears throat> Mandan and things of that nature probably Jamestown would be a good place, because I think it's something like 90 miles from Bismarck to Jamestown and, like, 145 or something from Fargo to Jamestown. So it's a nice compromise there. Yeah, and it's all interstate driving from both locations to Jamestown, so it's it's an easy 
jaunt. Oh, yeah. Not a problem there. That is awesome. Well, I hope we start getting some leaks that have this whole, like, grassroots plan deal. I really like it. I do, too. And I'm thinking that uh, organized play will also like it as well, because I think if we can demonstrate that we're setting up tournaments out here and that or not just tournaments, but we're actually working to set up leagues in other locations that are not our own for the purposes of developing organized play out here that might give them some incentive to kind of direct their gaze back out at us and, you know, possibly look into getting more premier events out our way rather than keeping them over in the, like, Great Lakes area, like, and even in, like, um, Minneapolis and St. Paul. Absolutely. Which is super good news for anybody who might be living in the western or even the central parts of North Dakota. Because <laughs> yeah. for us, I mean, I can throw a rock and hit Minnesota, but for them, you know, it's an extra three hours, four hours, five hours on top of that trying to get out there. Which is a lot of hours. It is a lot of hours. <laughs> so. And that's... I don't know, it's been a lot of work, but I'm thinking that if I can get something set up here and we can get the ball rolling on that, it would be a fantastic thing for everybody. Yes, it would. But, I don't know, the other little thing, too, there is that the Paradox League and I have been talking as well, and, I don't know, we've been coming up with a lot of really good ideas for developing things here as well. I know... Well, I've been doing a lot of the legwork when it comes to research for it, but I also saw that there was a like a youth activities organizational group. I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but um, they apparently created a map of all the activities that are going on in Fargo-Moorhead, West Fargo, you know, that sort of general area here. Mm-hmm. And I figure that if I can talk to them and possibly get us on that list of places, we might be able to see a bigger turnout in terms in terms of um, not just juniors, but maybe even some seniors players as well, which we kind of need. I mean, yeah. we're split up pretty heavily into an increasing number of juniors players and a very large amount of masters players, but we don't have too many seniors. And I would really like to see more come out from that specific uh demographic yeah it's it's a it's a really small demographic i mean like the age group for seniors is the smallest it is so it's it's can be a little bit tough especially in an area as not as populous as other you know major metropolitan areas in the united states for us to find senior players but i would really love it if we could get some they're also a nice um it's also just a really nice demographic in terms of transitioning to. I mean, the difference in skill level between a junior and a master is so great. I mean, even among probably the least competitive master player, they still understand and know a whole lot more about what's going on than most junior players that I've known. Yeah. So it's 
almost an insurmountable task for a junior to fight a master's player on an even footing. But when it comes to a junior fighting a senior, there's less of a learning curve there. And um, it's a way better learning experience for the junior player in that case, too. Yes. And it allows them to kind of develop a little more naturally than trying to go from, you know, their base understanding of the game to fighting someone who has like a even a basic knowledge of like the metagame is in on in general and it's it's really tough but it's a nice way for if we got some more senior players in there it would be a nice transition for the juniors players to kind of develop their skills when they eventually reach the senior level and the seniors can battle the masters which is also a nice transition period up into you know, the master's level, and it's a nice general education route there. I 100% agree. So. Woo! North Dakota, trying to get more Pokemon stuff out (laughs) here, which has been a challenge, but hopefully we can get it done. Well, you were working ridiculously hard for it, so I'm sure something is going to break and become awesome here. Hopefully. And as always, we are stopping down at the news desk for this week's latest and greatest Pokemon news. We'll be starting with underground announcements as per usual. And the big underground announcement this week is that the voting for this double team cycle has completed. We had voting between Caesar, Agron, and Feraligator this particular cycle, and it was a close it was a close go. It was. Feraligator took third place with six votes. Uh Scizor took uh second place with eight votes, and Agron was the winner with ten votes. This is gonna be interesting. It is going to be interesting. And I think though even more interesting is the fact that the choices we have for double team are always so polarized. Seems like we've got almost an even like 33% split between all three of our choices almost all the time. And it usually winds down to like the last day of voting for someone to walk in and put down a surprise tiebreaker. Because yep. I think for two or three days straight, Scissor and Agron were literally stuck at, you know, either six or seven or eight votes apiece. Yeah, well, and the other thing that I really love about this, uh, our double team choices is, is that our listeners always end up giving us like one OU easy go Pokemon and then two, well, I guess we'll see what we can do Pokemon. <laughs> And people tend to like to choose the, let's see what we can do with this Pokemon. I think that's what a lot of the listeners like to listen to. You guys are testing us. Well, to be perfectly honest, if I was in their position, I'd probably want to test the hosts as well. Because, I don't know, I think it would be really awesome to hear what a Pokemon could do. And... I don't know, I don't. I guess I can't say that I'm the most knowledgeable person, but I think that taking a bit of a creative look at what these Pokemon can do can really help out with 
developing Pokemon teams in the future as well. I mean, Josh certainly got a lot of use out of your one team that you described quite a few shows ago. But Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I don't get me wrong, I really love being able to take these Pokemon that, you know, people don't normally look at and building a team around them, because I think every time it happens, the listeners are probably a little bit like, oh, there's there's no way they're going to be able to do anything awesome with this, and then every single time we manage to come up with something, at least. Uh-huh. Whether it's exploding Garboder, or... <laughs> or helping hand <laughs> recycle Garbodar. Uh-huh. So, we're, we're excited. Next week, we will be... Oh, Sam, that's what we're doing next week. Oh, that is what we're doing next week. <laughs> next week we will be talking about our Feraligator, or not our Feraligator teams. That was wishful thinking. Our Agron teams. So I take it you wanted Feraligator? I did. I was kind of looking forward to a Feraligator. We haven't done a starter, um, a starter Pokemon double team. Yeah, we have Blastoise. Oh, that's right. We did Blastoise. Yes, we did. Okay, well, then I don't feel so bad. Well, there you go. And it was even a water starter, so there. <laughs> I'm, I'm terrible at this game this morning. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I didn't really have a solid opinion on which one I wanted to do. I, If I wanted to do any of them, I think I probably would have said Agron. Well, then you win, don't you? I guess I do. I don't know. Scissor is okay. I... It seems like, well, Scissor is the kind of Pokemon where if you kind of get the basics of it down, it can fit pretty well anywhere, so... Yeah, he's he's a really good utility Pokemon, so that probably would have ended up being a a set of teams built more around another Pokemon with Caesar sort of filling in whatever role he needed to. And that's what he does best. I mean, you get him out there and he basically fits the role that you need him to be there for, which is most often than not the bullet punch bug bite technician one yeah so uh the only other underground announcement we have is that there are still no bumpers guys we need bumpers i miss you let me hear your beautiful voices not car bumpers we we don't need no those. <laughs> please please don't do send not us those. do not mail car bumpers I don't even know where you'd get them. We don't want to know where you would get them. We just don't want them. I also so. don't want to know how expensive it was for you to mail it through the mail. Those things are heavy. All you have to do is fit them in one of the boxes. And then the <laughs> if you can fit them in one of the flat rate boxes, you can just send it. And they have to take it no matter how much it weighs. <laughs> just start mailing bowling balls. You know, I actually thought about mailing somebody a box of lead weights with iron filings poured in the spaces <laughs> and just be like, all right, this is a flat rate box. I want to send this to Alaska. You're terrible. I am kind of a terrible person. <laughs> I'm not going to deny it. All right, let's head over to Overworld News because there's a good bit of stuff to talk about this week. No, there's not. Oh. Yes, there is. I was going to say, don't lie, Sam. Well, you're looking at the notes, too. I know, but I was like, how do you think that this is not a good bit of stuff to talk about? Well, I don't know. I guess I wrote it. I needed to say something, so. Hi. All right. So, and, you know, I said that we wouldn't announce this again anymore, but I'm just going to do it anyway. Um, the new 2013, 2014, or rather 2014, as I've been corrected a number of times, uh, modified TCG. 
TCG set rotation uh, has now taken effect. Um, all sets from Black and White, Next Destinies, and Up will be considered legal for the modified format for the next year. Bam. Which is unfortunate because I was really hoping that Mewtwo EX would go away. <laughs> but he's not really seen anymore, too, which is, I guess, not that surprising. The Genesect EX are the ones that are tearing everything up now. Yep. Oh, well. Uh, just as a reminder, the Shiny Dialga event is still live. It will be conti- it will continue to be live for the next week, so be sure to pick yours up as soon as possible. Don't be like me, waiting until the last minute. Uh, you can obtain your Dialgas from GameStop locations with any of your five with any of your fifth generation carts, which include Black, White, Black Two, and White Two. So if you really want to, you know, shiny legendary it up, you can obtain four shiny Dialga. Like I have. I only have three, because one of my carts is still with Ross in New York. Oh. Well, there you go. Tell him <laughs> to get a shiny Dialga. I should. Just be like, hey, hey, you need a shiny Dialga. Go get one. <laughs> go do it. Peer pressure, peer pressure, do it. <laughs> uh, and then coming up after that will be the shiny Palkia event, which will run for the same amount of time as the Dialga event, which will give you a full month after... Uh, Dialga is done to go in and obtain your Palkias, and then after that, we will get the one that I am waiting so anxiously for, the Giratinas. The Giratina is what I've been waiting for the entire time. It's going to be so amazing to be able to soft reset for that Giratina, because soft resetting for Giratina in Platinum, I believe, was not very fun. It was not very fun. (laughs) Did you do it? No, I did it. I got lost in the reverse world. We've well, had the, I I know we've had this discussion before where I well, I, I knew was, you got lost there, but I figured you reset the game or something. And yeah, and I never and got did it. I never got all the way through it again after that. Oh, okay then. <laughs> but no, soft resetting for that Giratina was not a fun time. I did it, and I kind of just took the one that I was satisfied with after a few days of doing it, and I was just like, nope, done. So, this time around should be a little easier. True story. You know what's also something that was kind of ridiculous that I heard about that, I don't know, made me think hard about selling one of my Pokemon games? What? Apparently, those copies of Heart Gold and Soul Silver are selling used for like forty or fifty dollars. They were going for forty at GameStop when I left, which is ridiculous. That's that's five dollars more than they were brand new when they came out with the PokeWalker. Uh, Pokemon Rumble U has also been released now in the U.S. If you're looking for the next popular thing. Uh, it's a digital-only title, and it is available for $18 on the Wii U eShop. Yep. And the additional figures for the game are also available at GameStop locations. I had kind of wanted to go into GameStop yesterday when I was picking up my Shiny uh, Dialgas and see if there were any of the figures around, but old manager was there, shopping experience was extremely uncomfortable, I just couldn't even stay in there. <laughs> You were at the mall yesterday? Yeah. For... Why didn't you stop in and talk to me? Oh, I didn't even think of it. We we went in to buy Ben pants for work. Oh, well. <laughs> I 
all right, I'll forgive it this time. Okay. But yeah, the uh, figures, I um, had the opportunity to look at some of those when MJ bought some. And apparently they come in the little Pokeballs. Oh, God. And you can't tell what they are, though. You can't tell what they are? No, you can't. You buy them as, like, blind bag figures. Oh, jeez. So you can't even look at the Pokeball to determine which one is inside them before you get them, because they're in this little black bag inside the actual Pokeball. Oh, no. (laughs) So they're all completely random. I know that I think he eventually traded someone else for a Lucario. I think he had a... Oh, which ones were they? I can't remember. He had some other ones. I think he used to have a Krogunk, but I think that's the one he traded away. And I know he also managed to pull a Mew. (gasps) So, you might want to talk to him. Does he have the Pikachu yet? I don't think so. Well, then I'm going to have to start buying them until I obtain a Pikachu and trade him, because I know that that's what will happen. Suppose I could always talk to him today too because i will be going down to paradox oh and he'll be at the docks league yep that makes sense well we'll see we'll see what happens i might go down and pick up a couple today we'll be over at samurai for lunch today with my mom which is like right over by the 45th game stop so maybe i'll poke over there there you go so I think this is the news that has kind of been burning up the internet here for a while, too. Yeah. I know we've had at least three threads about it on both the Underground Trainers Alliance website and our own um, under and our own Underground Radio website. But I've also seen like five or six of those same threads on the Corpus Christi website. I've been seeing a lot of threads on, you know, like gaming magazines or I guess online gaming magazines, rather. I've seen it on a lot of technology websites. And that is the announcement of the 2DS, which came very quietly. Nobody knew it was coming. I mean, it just kind of popped out of nowhere. And it was something that I initially thought was a Photoshopped, like, hoax that someone had thrown around the internet. I really thought it was for the longest time. Right. And then I looked it up and I realized that it was an actual thing. So the 2DS is this new system that's coming out on October 12th, which is tying in with the release of Pokemon X and Y, and it's it's a slate-style handheld, so there's no hinge. Which um, is very different. Yeah, it's it's extremely different. So, like, the screens are always going to be out there exposed to the world just like they were back when we had Game, Game Boy, Boy Advance. Advances. And Not the before. SP, though. Nope. The SP was the best. The SP was the best. I love my SP. Um, and it the, the reason that they're calling it the 2DS is because... It has screens that are sized to standard 3DS screens, but has no 3D features. It will play all of the Nintendo 3DS games, but in 2D. Yep, and the price dropped accordingly. I mean, 
the system is on sale or will be on sale rather for 129.99 US dollar and it'll be on sale in Europe for 109.99 in euros. But I don't know. I've voiced my various opinions on the system earlier and I don't know. I I feel like there's a reason that the 3DS has the off feature on it too and for the 3D anyway and you know, if you don't want the 3D, then you can always just turn it off. But I've always felt that the 3D was really important to have for games like Shin Megami Tensei. Uh, Fire Emblem Awakening was really brilliant. The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time was beautiful with the 3D. I mean, it was literally effortless with that system. And I don't know, I think it's... I think the 2DS is a good option for parents who don't want to spend the amount of money on the 3DS or 3DS XL because, I mean, this is quite possibly one of the most affordable next-generation handhelds that is out there now. But, I don't know, I feel that the 3DS XL gives an infinitely better playing experience. I definitely think that for, you know, adult players, like, Myself, my husband, you, all of the Masters level players that we have at Pokemon League, the 3DS or the 3DS XL is the way to go. Um, they're more portable, They, the screens will last longer and not take as much damage as a result. The 3D is a wonderful thing to be able to experience if you would so choose, but for families with younger kids... I can totally see this being an amazing entry point into modern handheld gaming for children under the age of, you know, maybe 10. Because I remember working at GameStop and having parents come in with all of, like, kids that had either loose or broken hinges on their DSs. Mm -hmm. And when you remove the hinge, you suddenly don't have that problem anymore. So for kids that are going to be a little bit more rough and tumble on their systems, I think it's a wonderful entry point, but it is definitely not something that I plan on purchasing myself. No. The only person I know of who was actually interested in purchasing one was Kent. Interesting. Yeah. Apparently he liked the idea of holding it in his hands, like the same way that the old Game Boy, like the brick one used to be. Oh, that's right. Yes, I do remember this now. (laughs) Yep, but... I don't know. I It's definitely not something that I have any intention of purchasing, just because I really like the bigger screen size of the XL. I mean, it's like a night and day difference between the standard 3DS and the XL. I haven't and touched my standard 3DS since I got the XL. No, neither have I. And... Yeah, it's just the 3D capabilities with the larger screens make every make looking at everything so much easier. On the small screens, the 3D was really rough to use most of the time, but on the XL, it's like looking at a miniature 3D TV. True story. So, um, you know, if you're interested in picking up a, a 2DS, there's official Nintendo announcements about it out there and available to you now, and they will be hitting October 12th. Oh, yeah. The other really big news from this week is that Nintendo is setting up um, officially sanctioned X and Y demos. Um, There was one at Gamescom this past weekend, and that particular demo is now going to be essentially 
on a traveling tour across the United States. Mm-hmm. There have been a couple of announcements for locations in like Detroit, Indianapolis, Chicago. There has been a couple in like Milwaukee and in what I'm assuming is um, it says Minnesota here, but I'm pretty sure it's Minneapolis. Yeah. Uh, Minneapolis, rather. Kansas City, Tulsa, Dallas, Houston, Denver, uh, Temp, I think that's how you pronounce it, Um, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. These events are starting as of yesterday and today in Detroit and going all the way into November. Uh, The last event will be November 3rd in Los Angeles, which is almost a full month after the release of X and Y, you know, for purchase. They're really pushing Pokemon. They really, really are. I'm I'm super tempted to try to get out to Minneapolis on the day that it's going to be available out there. Had I known this about a month in advance, I probably would have taken the time off to be able to go out to Minneapolis to check it out. But at the same time, I've already seen the uh, Gamescom demo like three different times recorded by three different people. So I know exactly what I'll be seeing with it. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, the 25th, like, it's a, it's the 25th of September for the Minneapolis one, which yep. is a Wednesday. A Wednesday, which is a super awkward day for anybody who doesn't <laughs> live in Minneapolis or in the Minneapolis area to get out there. True story. I, I can't even imagine, well, with work and school and things like that, it's something where, you know, you would definitely need to take the time off in advance. And when we only have, like, two weeks before then... Well, Pokemon Z, it's going to come to North Dakota because we're going it. to be setting something up amazing here. Yes. But hey, I, I don't know if that. <laughs> we'll definitely try. That totally wraps up Pokemon news for us, though. Absolutely. Awesome. Okay, well, let's head over to this week's main topic. are going to be continuing our discussion of Pokemon movies, and we've gone through the first four, we sort of bottomed out there in the Celebi movie, and I think we were hoping that movie five would be a little bit better. I know that I felt that way, I don't know if Sam felt that way. It was an okay movie, it was... We're definitely on an up-climb Oh, good. Now. good. So you, you didn't hate it as much as you hated the Celebi one. The Celebi movie was painful. It That's really was. What it was. The, oh, I'm trying to remember back now. The third movie was definitely one that I just, I didn't, I didn't like it. The fourth movie was just, I don't know, it was just a bad movie. I mean, there was just... There was no saving grace to it. <laughs> um, the fifth movie was better uh, for a Pokemon movie anyway, but I don't think we've quite hit what I think would be like the golden age of Pokemon movies yet. So the fifth Pokemon movie was known in Japan as Pokemon Heroes um, Guardian Guardian Gods of the City of Water, Latios, and Latios, 
or uh, the Guardians of Altomare. In the States, it was just Pokemon Heroes. Yep. This movie was released in July of 2002 over in Japan, and it opened only in select theaters in America in, America in May of 2013. Or 2003, excuse me. Um, it was released on VHS and DVD in the U.S. almost a year later in 2004. That's quite a long time. Yeah, there was a pretty big gap between the limited theater release and then the actual home video release. I don't know oh, why this it is, took so long, but... I think this is kind of reflecting that whole time of quiet that Pokemon went through, because I know in 2004, it was kind of, things were winding down a little, at least in terms of just the hype that Pokemon got. Yeah, it was sort of like a lull. Mm-hmm. But, um, it, you know, that's where we were, where we were at there. Um, oh, yeah. This one actually had a short. <laughs> yes, it did. Um, the short was Camp Pikachu, and, I don't know, basically consisted of Pikachu running around and having shenanigans, and there were, you know, there were the um, Mewtwo and Wobbuffet, or not Mewtwo, but Meowth and Wobbuffet that were kind of hanging out, and they were going on this camp, camping trip, and I don't know, it was, it was weird. I yeah, mean, this, even by the standards the- of Pikachu shorts, this was weird. Yeah, well, this was the one about um, the the two Pichu brothers, too. Yes. Um, and there's that whole, like, little mini-adventure involved as well. It wasn't that bad, honestly. Like, I liked it more than some of the other shorts that we've seen, but the music was really weird in this one, I remember. Yes. Um, but, you know, whatever. It, it was the short, you know, there's no talking except for Meowth in the shorts, and... Mm-hmm. It was what it was, and then the actual movie starts. Yep. And it it's got an interesting sort of plot to it. I mean, it it was the premiere for Latias and Latios, so it was really like their time to shine. Wow, that would have been yeah yeah Ruby it, Sapphire Emerald. It was it was the animated premiere of Latias and Latios. Yeah, I don't know. It's it had a very interesting introduction to it too. There wasn't this whole like I know in the last movie it was kind of like Celebi of the Forest and you know that was interesting, I guess. But it, <laughs> and there it was like ham-fisted time travel. Yes. This one though it kind of like set up this backstory to it that you could at least relate to. Yeah, and it it was really really interesting cuz there was the whole prologue thing that happened um it introduced us to the idea of um altomare which is this sort of venice-like city where venetian city yeah there's all of these canals and things like that that are full of water and that's how the city essentially operates is with these canals and you know there's this history of two really awful Pokemon that almost destroyed the city and Latios and Latias came and saved the city. And so these Pokemon are literally a legend in Altomare. 
they are literally legendary Pokemon, which I thought was really, really cool, because they start this whole thing off with the uh, sort of festival that's dedicated to them, and there's the water race, and when Misty wins the water race, they talk about, you know, the little trophy metal things that she has and how it's, you know, tying into that legend, and I thought that was a really cool way to set it up. Oh, yeah. I will say, though, the Kabutops and Aerodactyl that were supposedly terrorizing the city, uh, you know, Kabutops <laughs> and an Aerodactyl, I mean, those are decent enough Pokemon, but Latias and Latios shouldn't have needed to, like, drown them and turn the streets into canals. I mean, a Latias could just sneeze and knock out a Kabutops and an Aerodactyl. <laughs> Well, yes, but we're dealing with anime logic and not video game logic. I, I suppose, but even then. True enough. Well, and it happened so long ago that, you know, the Aerodactyl and the Kabutops may not have been, you know, in their fossilized form. Like, maybe the fossilization process makes them slightly weaker than they were in their original form before they became fossils. So how long ago was this, actually? Because, oh my gosh, I mean, now, we, now if, we have a philosopher after to deal with. <laughs> yes, the process of fossilization. Well, no, not only, not even that, but I can't imagine that this city is that old, but they're talking like Cobatops and Aerodactyl were, have been extinct for like hundreds of millions of years. And if they were being used way back in the day, and the fossil technology that resurrected them is rather recent... How were a Kabutops and an Aerodactyl even threatening the city unless they were, like, original Pokemon that so happened to survive those hundreds of millions of years to get up to that point, or the fossil technology is just older than we thought? I have no idea. So, paradox. But, oh well. <laughs> Whatever. We'll just continue on with the movie. <laughs> um... The next thing that really happens is that we are introduced to the main villains of this particular movie, and that would be Annie and Oakley. I really liked Annie and Oakley. I I did, too. They were very, very competent members of Team Rocket. And that's only if you saw it in the U.S. version, too. In the Japanese version, Annie and Oakley were not with Team Rocket, which I think made it even a little cooler. Yeah, uh, they were sort of, in the Japanese version, they were sort of like, almost, I, I hesitate to call them mercenaries, because they weren't really working for anyone, but they were definitely like their own little treasure hunter sect of bad dudes. They were, what's a good word for it? They're, they were like their own treasure hunting group, and they were in it for the... Ex, they were in it to obtain the things that were from the legendary objects from long ago that they would be willing to go to any lengths to obtain. And I really liked that about them. It was a refreshing look on – and, you know, they, in the U.S. version, they said it, they were Team Rocket, and that sort of made it pretty cool because I like the I liked the idea of competent members of Team Rocket as opposed to the very incompetent shenanigans of Jesse and James. Yeah, and I mean, like, in the anime, we have um, those two other members oh, of Team Rocket. Oh, the Masked Marauder? No, the, the two other members of Team Rocket. Um, shoot. 
Oh. Bruce um, and... No, I don't think that was them. Um, Bonnie and Clyde? I don't think that was them either. Now I have to find out. No! Other members in the anime. Uh, Cassidy and Butch. Cassidy and Butch. There we go. Cassidy and Butch, who are like the sort of epitome of competent Team Rocket in the anime, and Annie and Oaklia are like four steps above that. Oh, yeah. So, for us in the States, I didn't mind that they changed that a little bit, because it's nice that, you know, we get this look at the actual criminal organization that is Team Rocket instead of the comic relief that is the trio with Meowth. Yeah. Um, and Annie, Annie and Oakley are after the Soul Dew, um, which is what they know about as far as this particular legend is concerned. It is the key to activating the defense mechanism of Altomare, which is this device that was built in case of another disaster akin to what flooded the streets before. And they want the soul due because it's super valuable, which makes sense in their sort of treasure hunter ideal ideology. Um, and as the film goes on, we get introduced to Latias first in her human form. I always I liked how uh, I liked how the two villains that we had discovered who Latias was. Yeah, they had some serious tech going on. They had tech where I actually believed if I didn't know from before that in the Japanese version, they weren't associated with team rocket. I would have, well, even then I just, I believe the story a whole lot more that they were with team rocket because of the tech that they had. Cause I didn't, be, I wouldn't have believed. I think that they would have just been these independent people who just happened to have this ridiculously amazing technology to dis- to discern humans from Pokemon. Well, and the fact that they knew that Latias could take human form was kind of a neat thing, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, they had this specific thing that they were using to scan all of the people so that they could find the one that was Latias floating around instead of an actual person. I wonder if they'll use that same technology when we get to the Zoroark movie. Well, I don't know. There's probably better technology by then. You know how technology works in the Pokemon world. I do. <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't know. It was once they discovered who it was too. I think Ash just kind of took off after them because he only really knew that there were these two people. I don't think he knew they were from Team Rocket yet at that point. I don't think so anyway. But he was just like, "Oh, that girl's in trouble. She's getting chased around by these two guys with, you know, nasty Pokemon. I should go and try and help her." And that, I think that was the first time that I ever saw a Espeon in the anime, and it was kind of terrifying. It really was. Um, their Pokemon were intense, and um, they didn't have any qualms about letting Espeon attack Ash and the humans. Oh, yeah. Um, which was something that was a little bit unusual. That's not something that you normally see in the anime uh, Pokemon are normally just attacking Pokemon, and Annie and Oakley were like, "Yeah, hit the kid." 
Yeah, hit him with a psychic attack, too. I mean, that yeah, was... Psy beam. Yeah, I was just like, what? <laughs> it was pretty pretty intense. Um, Annie and Oakley were not messing around. No, no, they weren't. And that made them more interesting villains as a result. I mean, it wasn't just about the Pokemon. It was, they were totally okay with going after people, too. True story. Um, after Ash manages to save the human form Latias from Annie and Oakley, she takes him back to her like little secret area where she and Latios are staying. Um, and it's a little like secret area within the Altomare Museum. And it isn't until there's uh, swinging that... Uh, Ash figures out that this is actually a Pokemon. Yep. And he's kind of slow on the update there. <laughs> yeah, he is. Just a little. Um, but you know, then we were introduced to uh, the other sort of big member, like the big players in this anime. Um, we have Lorenzo, who is the curator of this museum, who introduces Ash to the defense mechanism and uh, talks to Ash about Latios and Latios. And then there is Bianca, or not Bianca. Yeah, Bianca. Um, I got confused because there's also New Bianca. There is New Bianca, yeah. It was something (laughs) that kind of caught me off guard there too when I was watching it again. I was just like, Bianca, wait a minute. That's not Bianca. That's not Bianca. That's an imposter. Um, <laughs> Bianca is Lorenzo's, I think, granddaughter is the uh, official like relationship between the two of them in the movie. Um, and she is who Latias impersonates when she goes out as a person. Yep. Um, and so they, there's those two are the other two like really big players in this whole show. Um, And Latios and Latios spend some time with Ash. Uh, Latios was not very pleased about Ash being around at first, but as Ash's want to do, he quickly wins over the trust of both the legendary dragons. Yep. Because he's Ash. He is, and... Though, to be fair, though, I don't think that Latios is a fan of many things. He just seems to not... He doesn't seem to be a fan of most things. He definitely seemed to be a bit on the uh, raw side. Kinda. <laughs> just a little. Just a little. Um, and, you know, that, that the whole thing is sort of like a nice, pleasant lead-up to the uh, major happening in this particular movie, and that is when Annie and Oakley themselves discover the defense mechanism of Altomare. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's Annie that goes in, right? I believe so. Um, and she goes a little bit power crazy. Just a little. <laughs> you know, it's just taking over the entire city and, you know, becoming drunk with power on it. That's not a big deal, though. Yeah, she she really, like... Had this been, you know, a little drawn out a little bit more and we had known a little bit more about Annie and Oakley, it probably would have felt a little bit more uh, 
impressive. Like, it might have hit a little bit harder, but because, you know, we're dealing with a Pokemon movie, we don't necessarily have a lot of time with the villains. Yeah. But um, Oakley is really shocked about how Annie is acting as she is like, oh, I'm going to drown the city and do all this crazy stuff. I'm going to lock everybody in their homes and resummon the ancient Pokemon of Doom. Yeah. I and was kind of shocked by that. <laughs> right? And then the defense mechanism sort of, like, breaks a little bit, and Annie loses control and is getting, like, sucked around inside the little capsule that she's stuck in. Yep. It's pretty intense. It is. And then there is this giant tsunami that, you know is adding this another another layer of imminent doom to the oversized Kabutops and Aerodactyl. Kabutops and Aerodactyl were also some really nasty Pokemon. I mean, there were a lot of Pokemon that were just, in general, very, very, very aggressive at all times. Well, yeah, and the the Kabutops and Aerodactyl were not normal Kabutops and Aerodactyl. They were actually the fossils from the museum that were brought back to life and supersized. Yeah. Like, they were much larger than a normal Kabutops or Aerodactyl would be. Um, And then as the tsunami is coming in to destroy the city, that adds another layer of the imminent doom. But, of, of course, then Latios and Latios, as... The guardian Pokemon of Altomare are supposed to do. They go out to stop the tsunami, mm-hmm. and uh, Latios ends up sacrificing himself, which was super sad. It was. And then um, they go out. Ash and company go out, and they find Latios at least, and um, they get to see where Latios has gone and like right at the end as they're going back it's like suddenly there are tons of latios and latios yep so it was like it's not very often where we have a case with legendary pokemon where we can like absolutely for sure be certain that there are multiples of them i'm glad that you put that kind of absolutely sure qualifier on there because i was just thinking back to the fourth movie where there were like infinite uh, Celebi. Yeah, but we talked about like how that might have been a time paradox, and it might have just been all the same Celebi from like a bajillion different timelines. One new Celebi for every nanosecond of time. Right? So, there's that whole nonsense thing going on there, but with, with Latios and Latias, we know that there are multiples. Yep, so it's not just the one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's essentially the plot of this movie. Sam, what were your opinions on it? Well, I thought it was a nice change of pace from the other Pokemon movies, which were very one dimensional. They were very flat. You know, there was a lot of forced emotional attempts in the other movies. Except for the first movie. The first movie was still pretty good. The first I mean, movie is the best movie. Second, third, and fourth were a little rough. Um, well, at least the third and fourth ones were. Yeah. Um, 
The fifth one here, you know, it was really good. It had engaging villains. It made me want to watch it. Probably the part that irritated me the most was the voice of Latios and Latias. You really didn't care for them. No, I didn't. I... I liked the idea of Latios and Latias being in the movie, but the cry really started to wear on my nerves there a lot. And I know there are some people, and I think you are one of those people who really enjoyed the movie and didn't really get bothered by it. But with me, I think something maybe a couple of levels lower in pitch would have been more tolerable for me, but that high-pitched, like, almost, like, squeal that they were making started to get really, really uncomfortable for me really quickly. I yeah, and I can see that. I, I guess I played flute my whole life, so I'm used to really high-pitched sounds. It doesn't bother me so much. Well, I'm used to really high-pitched sounds, too. I mean, I sat right behind the flutes that entire time. <laughs> So I knew exactly what was co- I know I know what that's like. I just <laughs> it just wasn't it a was, pleasant experience for you. It was I don't know, it was slightly I don't know if atonal is the right word for it, but I mean it was I don't know, it just didn't sit well with my with my hearing. I mean it was just a it was just a rough sound to listen to, but otherwise the rest of the movie except for maybe some of the longer uh scenes there were still really good. I mean, it was basically just Latios and Latias that kind of, their cry, rather, kind of detracted from the movie a little for me. Yeah. But otherwise, the visual effects were a hundred times better than they were in the fourth movie, or even the third movie. They they really seem to be coming into their own now. There was still some of that, like, three-dimensional... Um... Awkwardness. Yeah, and that mostly happened in the chase scene where Ash is running through the streets of the city. But other than that, like when they did include a little bit of 3D toward the end, it wasn't nearly as bad. No, it was definitely a lot more fluid. The animation was a whole lot cleaner. It was a lot more realistic. And the scenes where they actually used the 3D or any CGI modeling, I mean, it still looked really good. It worked out really, really nicely for them. I also really enjoyed the villains in this particular uh, movie. I liked the the fact that they were a little bit more competent than villains in the past, and that there was actually a villain in the last couple of movies the villain has been you know either a five-year-old girl or a plot device yeah (laughs) a dude with a giant angry dark balls yeah um so annie and oakley were sort of a breath of fresh air in that respect and i was really really thankful for that and i thought that the premise was a lot more interesting than the celebi movie and there wasn't that awkward you know death scene with Celebi in this particular movie, which shoots it up about 80 notches, in my opinion. Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, that's something that I also appreciated, too. The, you know, it was the first time that we have ever, I think, anyway, we've ever seen a Pokemon actually pass on 
in a movie or even in the anime i'm fairly certain uh, there might have been another time before but i'm pretty sure this is the first time and it was done in a very it was done in a mature way and it was done in a way that you know wasn't over the top and it wasn't anything you know it was it was probably the best they could have ever handled it and i really appreciated that from the pokemon company I did too. I was I was really grateful for that. So I think that this movie was definitely an upswing. I still don't think it was better than Pokemon the first movie, um, and that might be the nostalgia talking. Well, but you know, I'm I'm gonna say that these two movies are pretty close, but I'd probably say that the first movie was better too. So, so that's Pokemon the fifth movie, Pokemon Heroes, and. I guess Sam and I will talk about the sixth movie when I actually get a copy of it, because we are officially out of my DVD copies of movies. Oh, we don't have the sixth movie? No, I do not own the sixth movie, so I will obtain that, and then we will watch that one and talk about it. What kind of Pokemon are you? How do you do the things you do? Share with me your secrets deep inside What kind of Pokemon are you? Are you loyal through and through? And do you have a heart that's true? What kind of Pokemon are you? This week's Pokemon Spotlight covers number 142, Aerodactyl. Aerodactyl is a long-extinct rock and flying type. Though modern fossil restoration technology has resurrected it, along with several other extinct species of Pokemon. The, you know, repercussions of that are enormous to think about. Just a little. But <laughs> Here's these extinct, ver- these extinct Pokemon, let's bring them back to life! Though, you know, they have said that they are only extant in you know, like a laboratory setting or maybe like a collector's setting, but they're still considered extinct in the wild. And I'm pretty sure it's because even though these new Pokemon are being introduced to the ecosystem, I still don't think that they can compete with the likes of some of the other more modern Pokemon that are out there. Um, Aerodactyl appears as a large slate gray pterodactyl creature with a wings with a huge wide wingspan and a very very large gaping mouth with lots of teeth. He's kind of a terrifying looking Pokemon. Oh, it totally is. He's my favorite looking of the um, fossil Pokemon. You know, I think I might actually have to agree. I'm. Aerodactyl like has just a fantastic design. He's definitely not like my favorite of the fossil Pokemon, and that's just because I have a soft spot for Relicanth. Yeah, well, and Relicanth's not really a fossil Pokemon, but like, he's a he, living fossil. He is the living fossil, but he is not a fossil Pokemon. But like, it's Aerodactyl's probably not my favorite fossil Pokemon, but he's got the best design in my opinion. Oh yeah, I mean, I really like both Cabotops and Armaldo for just for, you know, usefulness and for, you know, just their movesets and everything like that. But out of sheer design, Aerodactyl is definitely probably one of the most organic looking and probably one of the best designed. Um, in the, like, game itself, 
Aerodactyl are described as very, very ferocious. They have teeth like saw blades and powerful jaws that can easily tear the throats of their enemies. Uh, but contrary to their apparently carnivorous description, they have also been observed gliding around and eating fruit out of trees. So, you know, despite their carnivorous teeth, they apparently are omnivorous. Yeah. Though that might be a bit of the Pokemon company kind of toning it down a little too. Because, <laughs> I mean, well, I'll have to check it out because I think in the Adventures manga, they have an Aerodactyl. And the Aerodactyl, just the Pokemon in general in Adventures, are a little more PG-13. Yeah. So maybe we'll be able to see whether they actually are omnivorous or carnivorous there. Aerodactyl have also been featured on 13 cards in 10 TCG sets, and the Aerodactyls are most often seen as either fighting-type Pokémon, fighting-type restored Pokémon, rather, or colorless restored Pokémon. Restored Pokémon referring to the fact that you need either an old amber or, you know, an item card of that type to be able to put them out on, in, on the bench into play. The most current TCG rotation sees a single Aerodactyl card in modified play from the Dark Explorers set, which has the special ability in the form of Ancient Scream, which causes your Pokemon to do an additional 10 points of damage to the defending Pokemon before applying weakness and resistance. This effect stacks with other Ancient Scream Aerodactyl. I know this combination was really, really popular about the time Dark Explorers came out. And maybe in the set after that, at least up here anyway, I don't know about the national metagame, but it was a really, really good one to use, especially if you were running a fighting deck, because that was about the time that, no, it was the time that the Darkrai EX came out. And then having a fighting deck to counter a dark deck was probably one of your better options there. Um, Aerodactyl are also incredibly intimidating creatures. No way! (laughs) The reinforced skulls that they have often let them attack full force with reckless abandon. Uh, The mere visage of them alone can also drain an opponent of their will to fight and cause them to lose their competitive focus at a crucial moment in battle. These awesome traits of Aerodactyl equate to their abilities, which include Rockhead, Pressure, and Unnerve. Due to their typing, Aerodactyl are weak to water, rock, steel, ice, and electric attacks, which requires a little careful consideration in deploying this particular species of Pokemon in battle. Especially with those weaknesses to um, water and electric, because those are fairly common. And steel. Poor Bullet Punch would just murder Aerodactyl. Bullet Punch is rough. Um, But despite these rather common weaknesses, Aerodactyl has a very powerful offensive skill set at his disposal. Using attacks like Iron Head, Rock Slide, Earthquake, Pursuit, Aqua Tail, and Thunder Fang, along with a base 105 attack and a base 130 speed, Aerodactyl hits very hard, very quickly. You know, this Pokemon also has some moderate supplementary moves at his disposal as well. Roost removes the weaknesses to Electric, Ice, and Rock for a single turn while restoring HP, which can be really nice if you're using him in a battle and he's already taken some damage. 
Uh, Taunt prevents the use of status moves like Trick Room, Will Wisp, and Stealth Rock. And with a base speed of 130, he's able to outrun a lot of Pokemon who would use attacks of that nature. And Tailwind is also an interesting move for him to have, which doubles the speed of Aerodactyl and his teammates for three turns, which can quickly turn the tide of a battle. Sam, you have an Aerodactyl, don't you? I have several Aerodactyl. Oh my. Yes, I was on a bit of a breeding kick when I was doing Aerodactyl, and I made a couple of them. One of them was one that was specifically made to Pursuit after somebody, if they were going to be switching, uh, Taunt and Pursuit. So I would taunt like it was really big back in the day. I don't see it very often anymore. But I was going to be taunting the Reuniclus and then use Pursuit on him afterwards and have him carry a Dark Gem. Ah. So then I could smack it for quite a bit of damage while it was trying to take off again. But I also had another one that was specifically made for attacking pretty much 100%. I think it had Stone Edge. Um, I think it had Iron Head as well. Um, Earthquake. And then it also had Roost, just so that I could recover off some of the damage. That's the one I remember fighting. Yep, that one is a bit of a jerk. I don't like that one. Yeah. <laughs> He's mean. A little bit. Um, but, you know, Aerodactyl's a really great Pokemon. I think people sort of forget that fossil Pokemon are a thing. And it's really dangerous to do that as well, because, I mean, you know, there are so many of those fossil Pokemon that aren't used that whenever they pop out, you know, if you haven't kept yourself up on what their typings are, what their movesets are, they can really take you by surprise in a hurry. Yeah, they can. So... Aerodactyl is definitely a great addition to a lot of teams, but you've really got to make sure that you are putting him out with proper support for his weaknesses to steel, water, and electric especially. Yep. And now it is time for question of the week. Um, we have the question here from last week that we asked you, the listeners, and that was, what is your favorite card from the Plasma Blast set? Kent wrote in saying, Genesect EX, obviously, though I also like the reprint of Blastoise as well. Kent would love the Genesect EX. Oh, of course he does. Let's, you, and he's right, it is such a great card. It is. Adam wrote in, is there a shuckle? Because if there is, it's my favorite. No, there is not a shuckle. There is not a shuckle card. <laughs> Though if I ever see a shiny shuckle card, I will think of you and probably send it to you. Joey wrote in with his response saying, full art Jirachi it is so angry and adorable. I have the full art Jirachi, and yes, it is very angry. <laughs> it, is, it is the angriest that I have ever seen one of the base 100s all the way around legendary Pokemon. That's hilarious. Josh wrote in saying Haxorus and Verizion are the best in the set, as far as I'm concerned. And they are. I mean, Verizion and Haxorus, those are the two that we picked, so... 
that's because we're the best. Sean wrote in saying, I have to agree with Nateel. Ah ha ha. Verizian EX is awesome. I went to a Plasma Blast pre-release and was lucky enough to pull the EX in my six packs. I used it to great effect with the Tropius in the deck. Since then, I bought an Elite box and a Booster box, and I now have three Verizian EX and the Full Art 2, which is beautiful. That's really, really lucky. It is. Those Verizian are... They aren't going for quite as much as the uh, Genesect EX, but they're still in very high demand. And to get three of them, including a full art, is just ridiculous. Awesome. And we also had one response from a new listener, or I guess a new respondent on our Facebook page. Yep. Yep. His name is Isak, and he wrote... Kangaskhan has always been my favorite Pokemon. As I've never had a chance to have its card before, I can easily say it's her. That's really cool. Oh, yeah. This week's question of the week, since we officially have this new game available to us, is what are your initial impressions of Pokemon Rumble U? Well, I've taken a look at what it's looking like anyway, and... I've been checking out a lot of the features for it, just because a couple of my friends up here now actually are getting it. And they said, and, you know, if it's anything like the original Pokemon Rumble, which it's certainly looking like it is, except that they have much greater support for the amount of Pokemon that'll be on the field, you know, you'll be able to use those little figurines to be able to get your own Pokemon in there. I think it's going to be a really fun game. I can agree with that. Like, my my response for this question of the week is pretty much, I haven't gotten to play, so I don't have much of a response. But I'm really excited to be asking you guys as listeners what your impressions are, because I want to know what it's like. I want to know if you like it as much as the uh, Pokemon Rumble for the Wii. I I just want to know about it. I want you guys to tell us about it. And you can do so in one of several ways. You can send your responses an email to theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com. You can respond to the question of the week topic thread on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com backslash groups backslash the underground podcast. Or you could respond to this top, this episode's topic on the D20 Radio Network forums at d20radio.com backslash forums. If you enjoyed today's broadcast, you can find back episodes of The Underground on iTunes or at our website, theundergroundpodcast.wordpress.com. Please subscribe to the show via the iTunes store or directly through the RSS feed on our website. If you like what you hear, leave us a review or a rating on iTunes, and if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, send them with the nearest deli bird to our mailbag. Or you can just email us at theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com. We'd also love to hear your bumpers. Just record an MP3 of yourself telling us that you dig the underground and send it in. We'll play it at the top of the next episode. Please join our discussions over on the D20 Radio Network forums at d20radio.com backslash forums and now on Facebook at facebook.com backslash groups backslash the underground podcast. 
please join us again next week when we will be bringing you two teams built around the steel type Agron. So until next time, Polka fans, remember that our secret base is always open to you if you can find it. podcast is protected under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Pokemon is a registered trademark of Nintendo, Game Freak, 4Kids Entertainment, and Wizards of the Coast. Music used in the show comes courtesy of the OC Remix album, The Missing Note Tracks. These songs and thousands more can be found at www.ocremix.org. All original audio, textual, graphical, and video content associated with the Underground Podcast are the sole copyright intellectual property of Nathiel Erickson and Samuel Ranke in affiliation with the D20 Radio Network. Now for your Pokemon Pro Tip of the Week, never ask an Audino a question. The responses will be dripping with unintentional sarcasm. <laughs>